0: If you got your Bibles, open to the book of Isaiah chapter 41, and then we're going to jump back into our story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 42. As you're flipping that direction, just know that as we go through this passage today, it's a great passage, but it, it's one of those where because we're working through these in order, this is one that is actually probably the most coronavirus centric of all the passages that we've done so far, and we are coming about it very honestly as we work from top to bottom in the passage. And so, um... I hope it speaks to you the same way it spoke to me this week. It starts with this question. Um, Have you ever misjudged someone before? Have you ever misjudged someone before? Um, I can tell you, like, a bunch of great movies are based off of this principle, okay? But the idea of misjudging someone is where you start off in one camp and you end up in another. Now, there are a lot of good movies that give this as an example, but the one I kept thinking of was Home Alone. You remember seeing Home Alone back in the day? Home Alone, the misjudging of uh, uh, the little boy Kevin's lifetime. Remember Macaulay Culkin? He slaps his face with the aftershave and screams. Again, that's, that's Kevin, Home Alone, right? In that movie, which my family watched, every Christmas, Um, in that movie, the person that Kevin misjudges is the old man with the shovel. You remember the old man with the shovel? He walks around, he's salting the the streets so that they aren't covered with ice, and honestly doing a great public service, but Kevin is told at the beginning of the movie by his brother that the old man is actually shoveling dead bodies, pieces of dead bodies, onto the sidewalk. I mean, of course that's not true, but to Kevin's eight-year-old brain, that's what he thinks is going on. On right there and so anyway he, when he sees the man every time through the beginning of the movie what does he do he turns and he runs in the other direction as fast as he can well one day sure enough a conversation starts between the two of them they actually meet together and have a conversation at church of all places uh, and then from there they end up friends and the old man ends up helping Kevin and helping take care of him I know it's just a movie But there are so many times in our lives where we misjudge someone and what they're trying to do for us, uh, and it causes later on what seemed like someone who is an enemy or someone who is indifferent to us, we end up becoming friends with them over time. Now, we don't just do that with each other, we do that with God. There are times that we assume that God is one way or that God is thinking something when the truth is, when we study scripture, the mind and the character of God are based around this term, God is good. God is good in all things. Look at what it says here in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13. Here's what it says. The Lord is speaking, and He says, "For I am the Lord for I, the, for I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, "Do not fear, look at this. I will help you." I love the ESV's translation of that last clause. It doesn't just say, "I will help you." It says, "I am the one who helps you." The beautiful picture in this passage is to remember when we are filled with fear and life is filled with uncertainty, we've got to remember the role and the character of Almighty God. God is good, and he is the one who helps us. He is not just someone who is helpful. He is the one who, by nature, who is going to help us. If you're taking notes, write this down. Our ability to trust God in difficult circumstances is directly connected to our understanding of his character. Let me say that again. Our ability to trust God in difficult circumstances is directly connected to our understanding of his character. I don't know how many times I've gotten to hear from people recently where they will say, what do you think God is doing during these days that we're in? I can tell you a very short answer to that question. He's doing something good. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it's gonna come about, but by understanding the character of God, I know that no matter what is on the horizon, no matter how deep, dark, difficult, complicated these days become, in the end, God is doing something good because that's who he is, because that's what he does. God is doing something good, and when we remember that, it makes, us, it, makes it easier to trust him during difficult circumstances. It begs our question today. What should we remember about God In times of crisis, when it's harder to understand the plan of God or the mind of God, what should we remember about God in times of crisis? If you'll save your spot there in Isaiah and now flip over to Genesis chapter 42, we're going to start in verse 25 and pick up where we left off last week in our story about the life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 42, starting in verse 25. Now remember the way our story started. Joseph has a vision from Almighty God, has a dream that he is going to be shining like one of the stars in the heavens and that his brothers are going to bow down before him. His brothers hear that dream. They get upset with him. They then sell him into slavery to put him into his place. He's then sold to a guy named Potiphar. It gets even worse for Joseph. He's accused of sexual assault wrongfully, goes into prison. While he's in prison, they did not have enough evidence to, uh, uh, to execute him. And so because of that, he's just hanging out in limbo in a federal prison waiting for a decision to be made on his life. From there, he meets two guys, a baker and a cupbearer. He interprets dreams for them. They go back to Pharaoh. One of the men is executed. The other stays at Pharaoh's right hand as his cupbearer. And then the cupbearer, one night when Pharaoh has a dream that he doesn't understand, tells Pharaoh about Joseph and the way Joseph had interpreted his dream and says, Pharaoh, I think he might be able to do the same for you. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. When he does, Pharaoh trusts him, sees that the Lord is with him, that there's something very special and supernatural about the connection that Joseph has. He then puts him on his staff during a time of great uh, prosperity and then leading into a time of great famine. And Joseph is the one who serves as Pharaoh's right-hand man to lead them through that time of famine. Now here's what's interesting about that. We then lead in chapter 42. And in chapter 42, it's the time of famine and Joseph's brothers who he has not seen since he'd been sold into slavery by them all of a sudden show up at the house of Pharaoh trying to get grain so that they can have something to eat. It's this time of complexity. It's this time of difficulty, just like the one that we're in now that forced the brothers back together with their brother that they don't even know is alive anymore. So in that moment... Joseph recognizes them, but they do not recognize him. Joseph grills them pretty good because they've abused him, because they've hurt him through this circumstance. And then what ends up happening at the end of this story, Joseph recognizes them. He overhears a conversation where they bring up remorse for having sold their brother into slavery. Joseph turns around, begins to weep, and he realizes his brothers are actually becoming honest men. That leads us to where we are now. Let's look at verses 24 through 28. Here's, excuse me, 25 through 28. It says, So Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back into his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. And at the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned to me, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Look at this. It says their hearts sank... And they turned to each other, trembling, and said, what is this that God has done to us? Underline and highlight, what is this that God has done to us? This passage will blow your mind. Here's what happened. Joseph, uh, seeing them and recognizing them, Joseph has this moment where he goes, oh oh my goodness, these are my brothers. I think they're honest men, but I'm not sure. He makes them keep one of the sons back as a hostage, but the others he sends on their way. But because they're family, Joseph, instead of making them pay for the grain, gives them the silver to take with them. He blesses them with the grain. He blesses them with the silver. And what God is doing is something so good. He's about to knit the family back together for them. Their brother that they thought was dead is about to be alive again. I mean, they're not going to have to live the lie anymore because they sold their brother into slavery. But what is their response to that triple blessing? The grain, the silver, and then their brother being alive again the blessing that they don't even know is on the horizon they look at God and at the end of verse 28 they say what is this that God has done to us in times of crisis that's what we do isn't it we look at God and we go what are you doing to us you've shaken up my world What are you doing to us? I had everything planned out. What are you doing to us? I I understood what I was doing from day to day. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should we remember about God in times of crisis? Number one, God is not messing with you. God is not messing with you. Some of you need to remember that. There's this attitude and this idea that maybe God is messing around with my life. Can I tell you why that's not true? Because it's not in his character. It is not in God's character to mess with you. All good things come from God. Now, just for the record, there is a huge difference between what God does and what God allows. God can allow difficult things to happen to us. God can allow sin to remain in our world. But the idea that God can take part with evil, God can have no part with evil. It is never a part of his plan. God's promise is that if there is anything good that can come from it, he will find it, and he will use it for his glory and for his name's sake. I tried to think of an example of this, and the best I can give you is this. So we have a little two-year-old named Zeke, and uh, don't you love it? The guys in our family are Zach, Jack, and Zeke, all right? So Zeke is our two-year-old. Zeke is a hoss. I mean, just so you know, he's a big, buff little boy, buff little two-year-old, okay? But let's say I walk into my living room, and uh, we've got this big sectional sofa that we have, okay? And what if I walk into the living room, and all of a sudden I see the sectional sofa that weighs hundreds of pounds all of a sudden moved and spread out all throughout the living room. What if I walk in and I go, who did this? Who moved the sofa into the middle of the room? And I'm like, it was Zeke. I just know it was our two-year-old that moved that furniture all over the room. Zeke's a hoss. But as far as 100-pound furniture... There is no stinking way, even with the running start, that our boy is going to be able to move that stuff. When we look at God and we go, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Why is all this bad stuff happening to you? Why are you testing me? God does not test us. There are times God will allow testing to happen to us. But it's just like saying to the two-year-old, why would you move the furniture? It's not possible. God is good. He can only do good things. There are times he will allow difficult things to happen to us because he knows in the end it is for our good, for his good, and for the good of the kingdom and those around us as well. If you're taking notes and you don't take anything else from the rest of this service, I'd like you to take this. Are you ready? To understand God's level of investment in mankind, we need look no further than the cross. Let me say that again. To understand God's investment, God's level of investment in mankind, we need look no further than the cross. I love that we have a cross right here behind us. Anytime I see a cross, not just being a pastor, but being a Christ follower, anytime I see the cross, I'm reminded of what God did for us. It says in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would inherit eternal life. The picture with that beautiful, amazing verse is that when we see the cross, we see that the Son of God was brutally murdered on our behalf for our sin. He took our place, and that's how much God would love us. When you think about Almighty God, it's not right for us to think of it in the way of, oh, why is he messing with me? Why is he messing with my life? Why is he messing with the world around me? God is good, and he does good things when he allows evil to happen in the world, he truly can find the good in it, and it is for our good, for the good of the kingdom, and for the good of those around us at the same time. Sometimes we can have this picture of God, like he's a kid with an ant farm. Did you have an ant farm when you were a kid? So back in the day, um, we got this little ant farm, and you got these ants, and you got the dirt, and it's got the glass plates on either side so that you can see the little tunnels that the ants dig. And it never fails. Anytime there was a kid with an ant farm, the thing that every kid had to fight doing was taking the ant farm and shaking it up just so you could make those ants mad and make them redig the tunnels. And it was always fun to get to watch them redig the tunnels. I was always kind of the tender heart that felt like with the ant farm, I don't want to mess up what they've, what they've done. Sometimes there's a type of person that sees God as the crazy kid with the ant farm, as the one who goes, oh, look, they've just got all their little tunnels put together, but I love seeing them squirm. Shake, shake, shake. There you go, angry ants. There you go, angry ants. Scurry around and put it back together. No, that's not the heart of Almighty God. God loved us so much that he invested his son into us. He invested his son so that we could be covered and our sin could be covered. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 portrayed this to us as well. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, again, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes, Do you not know that your body... Is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom I've, or whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body in this passage it 's talking about how we should live for God, because the truth is, the Lord has invested in us heavily. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. God has invested in us. His goal is not to mess with us or use us for His sick enjoyment. God is not built that way. He is good, and that is his character. It begs the question today, do you think God sees you as disposable? Do you think God sees you as disposable? He sees you as incredibly valuable. And as you go through a time of complexity, it's a powerful thing when we remember that. God sees you as valuable, so much so that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, for you. There may be some of you who are here today that would say, Zach, I haven't felt valuable a single day in my entire life. If that's you, I got good news for you today. God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. You were that valuable to him. It doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter if you have the right connections or if you're one who feels like you're always just a little bit behind. God loved you so much that he sent his son on the great rescue mission of eternity to save you. Do you think God sees you as disposable? If that's how you feel, you're wrong. You're valuable. Let's keep moving. Now, look at what happens. Flip back over to Genesis 42, and let's read verses 29 through 36. So they're already freaking out and they call out to God, "What is this that God has done to us?" Well, what God's done to them is just set them up for one of the miracles of the ages. Their brother, who they thought was a dead, or who they thought was dead, is about to be alive. Now look at what happens in verse 29. It says, When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told them all that had happened to them, and they said, The man who was lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as if we were spying on the land. Now remember, it's their brother Joseph. They didn't recognize him. But we said to him, We twelve brothers, sons of one father, one is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take food for your starving households and go. But But bring your youngest brother to me so that I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver when they and their father saw the money for pouches they were frightened now this is so crazy because God has given them a blessing of grain he's given them a blessing of this silver back and what is their response to the blessing of Almighty God they don't understand it they're frightened they go "Ah, oh, what is going on here why would anybody just let us leave with this money verse 36 their father Jacob said to them you have deprived me of my children Joseph is no more Simeon is no more that's the brother they left as a hostage Simeon is no more and now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Underline and highlight everything is against me. What we find from the brothers there at the end of verse 28 is what is this that God has done to us? Even though it's blessing, blessing, blessing. In this part of the passage, we find the father. Jacob sits there and he goes, oh, oh my goodness, you guys took the silver. You didn't pay for the grain. They've already got Simeon. And he goes, oh, what are we going to do? Everything is against me. When the truth is, What God has on the horizon is the miracle that he never dreamed possible, that his son that he thought dead is actually alive and living out the vision that he had when he was 17 years old, living out the dream that he had when he was 17 years old. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should we remember about God in our times of crisis? Number one, God is not messing with you. And number two, God is not trying to bring about your destruction. Let me say it again. God is not trying to bring about your destruction. In this case, Jacob raises his hand and goes, everything is against me. The universe is against me. You can read into that. God is against me. God is fighting for the other side. Why is this happening? Can I just tell you one thing? This is another one of those for you to write down. Are you ready for this? For some of you, this is going to blow your mind. Are you ready? If you're the one raising your hands and going, everything's against me, all right? God is against me. The universe is against me. Here, let me just say this to you. You ready? God is not out to get you. If that were the case, he'd have already gotten you. Let me say that again. God is not out to get you. If that were the case he'd have already gotten you. If God is truly holy, sovereign, powerful, if he is truly the one who breathed and the stars existed, if he's the one who speaks and the universe is formed, don't you think he could squash you if you were a little ant that he wanted to squash? It's not in his character. God is good, and you are so valuable that God loved you enough to send his son. Everything's against me? Are you kidding me? That there is breath in your lungs is a sign that our God is for you. Are you kidding me? That you have the ability to serve him, that you have a mind that can think, that you have hands that can serve? Every aspect of our life screams that God is for us, that he is not against us. When you find that little whisper from the enemy in your ears, what is God doing? Everything is against me. Know that that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. God's not out for your destruction. If he was out for that, it would have happened. So, we've been watching some TV shows recently. And Lulu and I the other day were flipping channels, and uh, we saw on PBS they were doing reruns of Bob Ross. You remember Bob Ross, uh, painter guy. He's, he has the, the the big perm that he has uh, on his head. It's just uh, just a, just a great fun painter. He he talks like this, just really calm, really simple. I mean, just a really really just seems like a nice guy. Just seems like a guy that you just would want to hang around. Paints these beautiful landscapes, and um, he would paint in a solid half hour and just create these amazing landscapes. Well, Lulu and I were talking about it. And I said, I think they've got it on Netflix or Hulu or something. So we end up finding uh, the Bob Ross series. And so Lulu and I are watching it. And he starts off with this beautiful blank canvas, right, where he's painted it and, and, uh, and uh, just kind of uh, painted just a little bit of a, a light blue color. And I'll never forget, Lulu and I are watching it together. And then he says, all right, guys, you're just going to want to paint just a little bit here. And he says, you know, this world can be whatever we want it to be, all right? Let's just do a little painting. And he gets up there. That's my best Bob Ross impersonation, just so you know. Anyway, he gets up there, and he starts to make these lines up at the top. And Lulu, again, being nine years old, just turned 10, 10 years old, Lulu looks, and she goes, what is he doing? What is he doing? She said, he ruined the canvas, What is he doing? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, he's Bob Ross. He's famous, all right? Obviously, whatever he's doing is something that is good. It's going to be good. And I said, well, let's just wait and see. Well, sure enough, he had made the outline of the shading in the clouds. And then, about five minutes later, the clouds begin to take shape. And I'll never forget, Lulu goes, now I see. That was exactly what she said. Now I see. And you watch her face light up because she could finally see he had put together a beautiful cloud formation. And then he looks and he goes, And now it's time for a happy little tree. And he drew a little tree over there and said, I don't know what a happy little tree is, but apparently Bob Ross did not make sad trees. they were only happy ones. Anyway, moving on. All that to say with God, just like the situation with Bob Ross, we don't understand it. Bob could see it in his mind. And it was going to be very good. How much more so when our Heavenly Father looks at the blank canvas of our life, how much more does our God look at us and go, I know you won't understand this right now. I know it's just going to seem like dark lines that end up ruining the picture, but it is going to be something so beautiful. It is going to be something for the ages if you'll just trust me. The more we understand about the character of Almighty God, the easier it is to trust him when things get complicated. By the way, there's a great set of verses that describe this for us. Save your spot there in Genesis and flip over to Romans chapter eight. Famous verses, Romans eight, to verses 28 through 30. Our buddy Paul writes this to us. Romans chapter eight, verses 28 through 30. He says, and we know that in all things in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I love this passage of scripture because he starts off by saying God is making something good in In you. And the plan since before you were born as Christians, the plan since before you were born is that you would be good, that God would craft something that is truly for the ages in you. And then he lays out what that process is at the end of verse 30 that you would be called, that you would be justified, that you would be glorified in the name Jesus Christ, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. The Lord predestined for the believer that you be a viable member of the family of God. Now listen to me. God is good. His purposes for your life are good. He's not ever just going to make something to throw away. He loves you, and his plan for your life is to call you to justify you, and then eventually that you would be glorified in Jesus Christ as well. It begs the question, do you, under, do you misunderstand the nature and motivation of God? Do you misunderstand the nature and motivation of God? Do you see God as that kid with an ant farm? Or there are some of you, this idea of God bringing about your destruction, you don't see him as a crazy kid with an ant farm. You see God as a bug zapper. You see God as this big bug zapper and you're this moth and you're flying to that that blue light or whatever and as soon as you get close, it's God going up, not good enough, eh, not good enough, zap, not good enough, eh, and they'll understand later on, man, they can't draw near to God. You can't get near to God on your own. But through Jesus Christ, God ain't no bug zapper. God's the one that when we trust him, He loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. The nature and the motivation of God is love. He loved us so much he sent his son. He made us and predestined us to do good works, to be part of the family of Almighty God. Don't misunderstand the nature and the motivation of God. And if you ever find yourself saying, why is everything against me? Why is God against me? then you misunderstand the nature and you misunderstand the motivation of our God. But now we got our last verses as we close. Look at Genesis chapter 42, and let's read verses 37 and 38. Here's how it closes out. It says, Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both my sons to death if I do not bring Benjamin back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. Now stop right there for just a minute. Reuben is the oldest son, but Reuben has lost the rights of being the oldest son because back in the earlier part of Genesis, Reuben ends up sleeping with one of his father's concubines. He sleeps with one of his stepmothers, okay? It's a gross story for another day, all right? But this is Reuben, and it actually is a picture when you look at that passage in Genesis early on to where we are now in chapter 42 it's showing that even Reuben has become an honest man. Even Reuben is trying to do the right thing and here he is trying to speak courage and encouragement into his father. He looks at him and says, Father, again, you put both my sons to death if I don't bring him back to you and trust him to my care. Trust me with Benjamin. I feel like God may be up to something and I love it because the equivalent here in verse 38 is Jacob going, be quiet Reuben, you don't have any room to talk because he." your past. It's just interesting. Look at what happens in verse 38. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Now stop right there and underline, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. What happens here is Reuben tries to offer a moment of courage. He tries to offer an encouragement to his father. I'll put my own son's life on this if you'll trust me. I feel like God may be up to something. But Jacob is so down in the pits of despair, he looks at him and he goes, Are you trying to kill me? And then he basically says, I'm going to die sad and alone. I'm going to be in sorrow, with my gray head down to the grave. I'm going, I don't know how this is all going to work. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? What should we remember about God in times of crisis? Number one, God is not messing with you. Number two, God is not trying to bring about your destruction. And number three, God's plan is not that you die sad and alone. God's plan is not that you die sad and alone. It is incredibly melodramatic to read what Jacob is saying here. Now, his circumstances are dire. There's famine in the land. There's no food. So much so that they sent the sons out. But I want you to hear this. Reuben tries to offer a word of courage, and what ends up happening? Jacob makes it all about him. You're taking my sons away. Joseph's gone. Benjamin's about to be gone. Simeon's held hostage. Oh, the world's in famine. Ah, I'm going to die sad and alone. Listen to the narcissism in that. It's all about him. We know the end of the story Joseph's wildest dreams, excuse me, Jacob's wildest dreams are about to come true when he gets to see his son Joseph who he thought was dead who is now alive. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? God is about to make Jacob's innermost desires a reality. He must have faith in the character of God. Jacob is about to make Joseph or, or, or God is about to make Jacob's innermost desires a reality. He must have faith in the character of God. It is not God's desire for you to die sad and alone. That's not his plan for you. Now some of you would say, but I've known people in the past who've ended up that way. What I can promise you is that is not God's plan. God's desire is not that you would die sad and alone. And when that whisper of the enemy comes in your ear, when you did just like I did and you watched a little too much news late into the night, You'd be very smart to set a time in the evening when you turn the TV off and you just go to sleep. Because that whisper of the enemy, that it's the end, that whisper of the enemy, that the world has fallen to pieces, that whisper of the enemy, that now all of a sudden it's not big macro uh, uh, things that can hurt us, but these little microbiology, micro, micro, microbes, whatever, that are so small that we can't see the enemy again being invisible. Can I tell you this? God is still in charge. God is still on his throne. He is good and his plans for our world and his plans for you are good. We've got to trust him. In this circumstance, I can guarantee you this. Jacob never thought in a million years that at the end of this journey, he would be together with Joseph again. I guarantee you that was not even a thought in his mind. And the Lord is crafting and painting on his massive heavenly canvas this beautiful story in Jacob's life. And the Lord has to listen to the brothers say, God, why are you doing this to us? And the Lord's like, oh, if you only knew, it's about to be awesome. Everything is against me. I know, but just hold on. Everything's not against you. Everything's actually working for you. I'm going to die sad and alone. Are you kidding? You're going to die The opposite of sad and alone. You're going to be together with your family. The son you thought was dead is about to be alive. It's the absolute opposite of those things. How many stories can you think of right here, right now? How many stories can you think of of families brought together by this coronavirus situation? How many stories can you think of of people connecting with folks that they had not connected with in the longest time? I've heard story after story of families that are actually talking for the first time, sometimes in generations because of what's happened with these circumstances. People actually care about each other. Is it possible that God could be crafting something amazing and beautiful? Don't get trapped in the tunnel where you just think it's all gloom and doom. And you'd say, but Zach, look at the death toll. Look at the death toll. But Zach, look at the counter that goes up on the side of the illnesses that are going up. I'm not belittling that situation. I'm just saying your faith in God needs to be bigger bigger than your fear of the virus. Your faith in God needs to be bigger than that fear of the virus. Be smart in your movements. Work on your social distancing. Even pastors are having to figure that out. But when it comes to your faith, when we put our God as our forefront focus, it says in scripture with him at our right hand, we cannot be shaken. We live in a world right now of people who are deeply shaken by something that God is bigger than. One final story and we'll close. I've been watching a lot of movies and it's a lot of kids' movies right now, probably like a lot of you. I'm watching a lot of kids' movies right now. And one of my favorites is the Pixar movie Up. Have you seen Pixar's Up? If you have not, I mean, push pause, go watch it, come back. I mean, it'll fit, okay? Pixar's movie Up. The story of an old man named Carl Fredrickson, all right? This is that movie that had the house with the balloons that floats away, okay? The lead-in, the opening scenes, if you don't watch any other parts of the movie, the first 15 minutes of the movie is a montage to the love of this old man named Carl Fredrickson and his wife, Ellie. Shows when they meet when they're kids, and then it goes through. Ellie, it looks like, maybe loses a battle with cancer or some other illness, and then she ends up passing away, but Carl is still left. I mean, again, it looks like at the beginning of the story that he's going to die sad and alone. That's what it looks like. And Carl Fredrickson is still in this house that he and Ellie have worked on and built together. And he's sitting there in the house and you watch him. He's just waiting to die, sad and alone. And then all of a sudden, a knock comes at the door. They want to take his home because of urban re, uh, urban redevelopment. They want it, gentrification. They want to take his home and they want to turn it into like a, 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 like a sandwich shop or something, a, 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 a mall. And so he's got this little house. His world is slipping away. He just wants to die sad and alone in his house. And sure enough, He has this idea that he's going to take the house away, that he'll load it up, that Disney style, he's going to put a whole bunch of balloons on it, and he'll float it away to a place called Paradise Falls, a waterfall in South America, and he's just going to place his house there, and he'll die alone in the place that he and Ellie had always wanted to go to. However, another knock comes at the door, and it's a little boy named Russell. Russell has got a complicated family dynamic himself, But the little boy, Russell, probably 10 years old in the show, ends up knocking on the door. And Russell, on the day that Carl Fredrickson takes his house away in the big deal of balloons and sails off, Russell ends up on the front porch and he all of a sudden ends up tethered to Mr. Fredrickson. They end up in this whole thing together. Well, the story is about how Carl just tries to do everything he can to get his house to Paradise Falls so he can die sad and alone. But in the process, he meets the little boy Russell. In the process, they meet a dog named Doug, and they end up meeting a bird, a dodo bird named Kevin, all right, who's an endangered species. I don't know how you name an endangered bird Kevin, but Pixar did it, and somehow it worked, all right? All that's just to say, by the end of the movie, I'm not spoiling it for you, you had like 20 years to see it, and you paused and watched it up until this point, so all that to say, Carl... When we get to that point in the movie, all of a sudden, he yells and gets everybody away from him. He finally gets his house to the edge of Paradise Falls next to the waterfall, and he sits alone in the house. And all of a sudden, he longs for Russell, for Kevin, and for the dog, Doug. And you watch it. New life fills him. It wasn't life with Ellie. It could never be that way again. She'd passed away. But for Mr. Fredrickson, it could still be good, and he didn't have to be sad and alone. I know some of you might say that's just a movie. It is. But hear my parable today. It can't be like it used to be. In fact, after this coronavirus situation, the world has changed. Not just DC, not just our country. The world will be different after what has happened through these last few weeks and what is going to happen through these next months. The world is going to be different. What's the consistency? God is good. And his plans for us are good. And his plan is not that you die sad and alone. He's got new relationships waiting on the other side of this. Some of them in development right now. You are furthering those relationships and you don't even know it. God has got something good in store for you, in store for your family. He's got good things in store for each of us. We just need to trust him. But how can we do that? Because his character is good. God cannot make bad things. God cannot do bad things. God is good. His character is good. And we have to trust him. It begs our final question today. Have you forgotten that God is good? Very simple. Have you forgotten that God is good? I hope that you can go back to this message over time and remember his plans are good and he is one who is writing an amazing story for us. He is painting for us the landscape for the ages and it's gonna be special. If y'all would, please bow your heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, but just me. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Zach, I need you to pray for me. I've got some things going on right now and I need you to pray for me. Maybe you're the one that would say, I'm the one who's been so afraid that God is messing with my life. I've seen him as that kid with an ant farm that as soon as I start to get my life together, he just shakes things up to mess with me. But you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm going to do my very best to trust that God is good today. If that's you, even just where you are at your house, watching on your phone, if you would just follow me in this act of faith, if you are here and you would say, Zach, pray for me, I'm going to do my very best to trust today that God is good. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you for having that courage. God is good. Trust him. He's building something good in your life for those around you and for his kingdom. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I'm the one who's been saying God's out to get me. I'm the one who feels like he, he wants my destruction. But you'd say, I don't want that to be me anymore. I don't want to look over my shoulder at God. If he'd wanted to get me, he could have got me already. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would have a clear understanding? that God is good, that I wouldn't be looking over my shoulder like he's out for my destruction. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you for that. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is very simple. God, I trust you. Just like it was in Isaiah 41. God, you are the one who helps me. Pray that simple prayer. God, you are the one who helps me. You're not out to get me. You are the one who fights for me. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I just feel like up until today, I was going to die sad and alone. That if I didn't live a perfect life, that I didn't follow the perfect path, I just have this great fear that I'm going to end up sad and alone. If that's you, remember our words today. God's plans are good. He is good. And his desires for us are not that we would die sad and alone that we would live in perfect love with him for eternity. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would remember that God's plans for my life are good. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you for your courage. If that was you, just pray this simple prayer. God, I trust you. And I believe that you desire my good. God, I trust you and I believe you desire my good. And then last but not least, maybe you're here and you would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved today. I need to, for the very, very first time, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and that he alone is that perfect sacrifice for all my sin. Just for the record, when it comes to our faith, It's not about what we do that gets us to God. It's about believing in what Christ has done that gets us eternity with Him. Forgiveness is not because we are good. Forgiveness is because we believe in Jesus and He is good. If that's you today and you say, Zach, I need to be saved. If that's you, I'd just like to ask you where you are. Just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. Say, Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. And then say, Jesus, save me from my sin. Save me from my sin. If that was you and you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I'd like to ask you just in the comments section, just to type, I believe in Jesus today. And then someone from our team is going to reach out to you. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. I'm going to pray for us. And then we got a couple more songs in worship. Let's do business with God. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much, Lord, for this story of Joseph and for all the different twists and turns that are attached to this story. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that in the midst of this story, Jacob, his sons have no idea exactly what you're up to, but the entire time you were just being you. You are good, and you are being so good to their family. Lord, I pray for those who are here today that are concerned about your motivation, that are concerned that you're either out to get them or or they're concerned that maybe your plans are not good or they're concerned about where they fall in the spectrum. Lord, I pray that they would realize today that you are good, that you are about our good, and Lord, that you cannot do wicked, evil things. You're holy, you're perfect, you're pure. And God, I pray that as we understand your character, that we would trust you. Thank you, God, for who you are. And above all else, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his holy name that we pray these things.